joy it's always great to be back in the studio with you zeleni you too <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> sometimes i'm not sure right yes <laughs> we try to make this as enjoyable of a listening experience as possible for you guys and so we hope that you enjoy and if you don't then listen to something else that's true i mean i'm gonna be talking a lot about to that today what kind of oh but, well because it's relevant to what we're talking about that, okay well you have a birthday coming up. It's the age of Virgo. Age <laughs> of Virgo. You yes. like what I did there? I'm very inspired <laughs> by musicals. Oh, we're not doing a musical today. That's true. That's misleading. I wish, I really think. Just a blanket statement. I, I think know. we can still do Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia too, but. Here we go again? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I think we slept on that. Maybe. I think we did. I don't know. I don't know. It's. I don't think I'm their target demographic. So it's. What? Excuse me. You're like obsessed with musicals. Like yeah. I don't see how that's not target demographic. I saw Mamma Mia. You're more. Mia. You're more target than me. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you love musicals. Um, and being I'm feeling them. targeted right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we've been seeing some movies out in the movie theaters. We went out to a movie this morning. I woke up so early. It was crazy. I've never woken up this early in my entire life. It's true. I don't understand what happened. <laughs> we went to a movie at like 10 a.m. And we have a lot coming up. I, this week, I think we're releasing a little late because it's Labor Day weekend and my birthday. So oh, yeah. I took some vacation time, but we have been watching a lot of new things and there's a lot like in the pipeline now. Mm -hmm. We have The People versus O.J. Simpson. <laughs> American Crime Story. Right. That limited season. And it's actually a series. And that was the first season. Well, I said that season. I, I guess it is. That's limited, what I meant. Right. Yeah. That. It was, right. Limited season. Whatever. Fair, fair. No, you're right. And then. Black Klansman coming up. That's what the one we saw this morning. Yeah. And To All the Boys I've Loved Before. A Netflix joint. Yes, that <laughs> I'm forcing Cameron to watch against his will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's tied me to the couch. It, I have. It's it's just so cute. I, I'm reporting back because last week I talked about it and I thought it was good. But we'll save it for that. You were so skeptical. I was because all the Netflix movies I've seen have been, they don't live up to the reviews I see or like the hype, the hype the hype I see online. So that makes me suspicious about don't whether the hype. the hype was even real or was it Netflix actually. So like that's why I was very skeptical. Yeah. But I liked it a lot. And we'll talk about it in that podcast. Did you ever hear that song? Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. No. <laughs> I think it was Public Enemy, but I could be wrong. I don't know her. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> that lot in the pipeline. This one was kind of... You forgot Rebel Without a Cause. We're not uh, covering <laughs> that. That was a horrible movie. James Dean. James Dean. <laughs> 
No, we had to see that, or Cameron forced me to watch that. That's what I exchanged him for yeah. the Netflix movie. Classes just started, and so I was assigned a movie. I actually had a pool of movies to pick from, and I just chose they were that all one. Old lame ones. Hey, with basic plots. I don't believe old and lame should ever be in the same sentence. I think they should. When it comes to media, we've come so far that seeing old stuff like i understand like oh know where you come from but i also think it's like it's dumb because you don't have much to analyze because it's so basic it's better to just watch something really good that's more recent and then yeah the whole point is i'm supposed to watch it to learn the principles of classical cinema right and it's like i'm over it because it was just so basic and boring and the same all the time and melodramatic and i'm not into it i'm not gonna pretend to be hipster about it as much as i appreciate the classics uh, there's much of what you just said at that i agree with <laughs> anyways that's a conversation for yeah. probably no other time that's in high book club <laughs> not important for this yeah today's topic which is so we're covering the good place today it's an nbc sitcom that started in 2016 and Zeleni convinced me to start watching it. She started watching it after we finished what? After we finished OJ. Yeah, I think so. If anyone doesn't know, we're Heike Book Club. Oh. <laughs> we're kind of like a book club, but for TV and movies. So we just discuss a movie or TV show every week. And I'm Zeleni. I'm Cameron. And yes, today we're covering The Good Place, which I sort of got recommended it by a friend and it was Michael Schur and it wasn't like a bunch of seasons in like Brooklyn Nine-Nine because I had just come off Brooklyn Nine-Nine and mm. it kind of like took over my life trying to <laughs> finish all five seasons and it was great but I needed I don't know I couldn't get invested in a new thing but the good place I can literally finish in one day one evening <laughs> after work like it's they're very short seasons, 13 episode seasons, and it's very non-episodic, so it's more like a long movie. Each episode is like an important part of moving the overall plot forward. Serialized. Yeah. So... I hope we get, we get into why there's only 13 episodes per season. I mean, do you think that <laughs> it being serialized is a reason why they cut the number? I think so. I think it's, well, I know. So The Good Place, which after, I think it was after season two premiered, which premiered in 2017 and just got on Netflix like a week ago. And season three is coming out in September of this year. I mean, this month, I guess. And I it has a podcast that is sort of a companion piece to it. Not companion piece, but like a behind the scenes look at hmm. everything and one of like the recurring guest stars, Mark Evan Jackson hosts it, and he has different people on from both the cast and crew hmm. each episode, and they talk about they they kind of go episode by episode focusing, but they also focus on like whoever they're with, their whatever area they're oh. in. So like if it's someone from the cast, like they'll focus on their character. If the, it's someone from the crew, they'll focus on like whatever job they did. Oh, that's pretty cool. Like writer or producer or set person. Yeah. Stuff sure. like that. So I'm only, and I'm only like five episodes into the podcast, five, 
five-ish episodes. I mean, how many episodes are there? There's quite a few. I don't remember, honestly, but a lot. Like They don't do an episode 20. per a TV episode, do, you, do they? Actually, maybe that's what it is. There's like as many podcast episodes as regular episodes. Huh. It's really cool. It, it made me really wish every single thing I watch had something like this because you just all your questions get answered about like why that and why this and why this cast this person it's so many things that you don't like you just are left wondering with everything else but with this it's like oh that's why done the 13 episode thing they just said it was too much work Uh, (laughs) to do too many episodes and Kristen Bell wrote in her contract that she didn't because she used to be on I forgot what other show. It wasn't Veronica Mars, which, oh. that, which is where she started, but it was like House of Lies or something like that. And she had like 20 regular 22 episode seasons and she was just like super overworked and she didn't want to do that again. And now she's at like A-list level TV wise to demand that kind of thing. So is Kristen Bell more known for her TV career? I don't know. I feel like she's done so many things because I also think of her a lot. As Anna in Frozen, like the, oh, like she's also kind of like a voice actor. She was the voice of Gossip Girl. So like the narrator voice in the whole series. The narrator was an important part, but it was like hmm. voiceover. Interesting. And it was, so, a, it was a long show. So she's a little bit more known for her voiceover work. I don't think more known. I just mean like I see her in a lot of ways. Okay. Because she's also been in like a lot of movies. So. Hmm. I, I don't know anything about her career. I, she's kind of been off the radar for me. She's I think she started on Veronica Mars, mm. which was a CW show about... I think she nice. was a detective or a PI or something related to crime. God bless the CW. Yeah. <laughs> and she's been in a lot of movies, though, so I don't know. She's done everything. And right now, she's very much like status to mm-hmm. do whatever she wants, basically. I mean, 13 uh, episodes makes it a manageable storyline because, as we'll get into, they have to manage that very delicately with this uh, being a uh, serialized show like it is. Yeah, it doesn't make... Because when you have something more like Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is not serialized, it's like more like you can just jump into any episode and understand what's happening which is more traditional of a sitcom yeah or at least the 30 minute comedy spot like if it's a 30 minute comedy it's typically going to be a sitcom which would typically necessitate it being uh, episodic but in Mm -hmm. this case the good place does twist it a little bit in the sense of being serialized and uh and being shorter yeah it's not your it, it really is not a sitcom in my opinion right it takes a lot from drama while keeping the comedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still comedy and not drama in its content, but it's very much drama in format. Well, you had mentioned uh, just you when you were saying that you wish every show had a podcast. Mm-hmm. You talked at that. You you talked to me about how you have to talk to all of your friends about uh, all of these shows and movies because there's no other space where people are talking about it and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes um, sense. I don't understand why more movies or TV shows don't have their own, especially TV shows having their own accompanying podcast, considering that they are usually produced by some major studio that would easily have some kind of 
you know, podcast studio that they could set this up in and record maybe like before, after they film. Right. And I feel, I feel like they think people aren't interested, but I feel like there's so many people that just want more and just want to know. Like, I just always just want to know, like, why did you make these choices? You know what I think it is? What? They can't monetize it. Or at least they not, can, though. They could, but not in the way that they are just, you know, they're always coming up with their rhymes and reasons for doing something. And they're like, well, where where's the benefit? Honestly, I feel like podcasts are still under the radar as like lucrative. Like, I don't think people realize like the companies are realize how much money you can make off of it if you have a platform already yeah like something like any any popular movie or tv show could make a lot of money with an ad at the beginning an ad at the Mm -hmm. end an ad in the middle just like all the other celebrity podcasts do like you can make good money and there's an audience for it yeah not only through the people who like the show but also the celebrities they bring in their audience exactly i don't know it's so dumb i feel like podcasts are still not totally on the radar as like lucrative like people know they're there and everyone listens to them but i don't think they realize they can still get something out of them i mean i think it's special to be able to hear from the writers directors and producers themselves movies are lucky to get this with their behind the scenes documentaries that are unless you have the dvd you don't really get any more these days or you might be able to find the youtube version of it but still uh tv shows have historically not gotten it and so if tv is looking to innovate then i think that the studios need to jump on this bandwagon listening to these podcasts it was cool because and it made me wish there had been a parks and rec or brooklyn i9 one and because every crew person that comes on has was also on Parks and Rec, possibly The Office and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So it's kind of like I, I even get some insight into those shows just by listening to the writer talk mm. because it's like, you know, you never hear from these people or like producer or Michael Schur, the creator, mm. you know, like the, even the set designer. It's all the same people from these other shows. Right. And it's like, I just want to hear more about all three of them. Well, speaking of, uh, do you have anything about Michael Schur that you found out about how maybe he had to pitch the show? I mean, a lot. Yeah. I think what happened. So, like we said, it's a very original format and very different from. And I feel bad, like just regurgitating stuff I heard on the podcast. You, I mean, if you just search the Good Place podcast on any podcast finding places, you can find this podcast and even more information. This is just kind of stuff I'm recalling. And I just want people to know they can go over Good. there. Yeah. You know? Thanks for that. <laughs> because it's really worth checking out just like everything. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, Michael Scher, he, he created, he was on the office, Parks and Rag in Brooklyn Nine Nine, and he was, had been doing like this office sitcom format for, Mm-hmm. almost 20 years or i don't know however long it's more been. than 10 more than 10 and he was kind of tired of it or just wanted to try something different and nbc gave him the very rare 13 episode do whatever you want card right <laughs> and because of that he felt 
the pressure to do something different. Oh, yeah. Because you never, you rarely get a chance like that in Hollywood to literally do anything and take a risk. So he wasn't going to come up with some office thing again, Mm -hmm. but something totally different. And he was, I found, and he didn't really talk about that much in the podcast yet. And the the one so far that I've listened, I haven't listened to that many, but... He was inspired a lot by Lost. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I saw that too. And I see yeah, it. You can see it in the show. Yeah, in the opening shot, it's the oh, same. Really? Well, in Lost, the opening oh, shot is... with the head or... Well, it's Jack's eye opening, mm. at, like waking up, mm-hmm. and the same for Good, good place. place. Yeah. yeah, And he apparently Michael Schur called up one of the Lost creators mm-hmm. and like had I, lunch. I forget his name. Yeah. David Lykman, some Linkman, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Link something. Right. And that's really interesting. We we're both very big Lost fans. Yeah. <laughs> I've been kind of geeking out of it. Oh, geeking out over it over the past weekend. <laughs> Mainly, I want to rewatch the pilot, but I also just really would love to rewatch at least the first three seasons. Those are so good, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, it's more because the good place ends in a cliffhanger every time and mm-hmm. lost did that really well so that's he was inspired by kind of that yeah. format and he wanted mm-hmm. to and it's really uh i think it's innovative to bring that to the comedy. 30 minute comedy yeah spot. it's so new and mm-hmm. fresh and i mean it's like he said it's it's such a rare thing in hollywood why not just do something completely different the good place is also not based in realism mm-hmm. which is a whole other risk aside from like the serialized thing it's also like playing with a fantasy world or like a non mm-hmm. you know not based in realism something that's interesting about choosing the serialized format which is what i'm learning a little bit in, in my film school is how when you have it episodic something like brooklyn 99 we come back more for the characters like we're invested in the characters and their behaviors and relationships in the show and we like to see them that play out we're not so much invested in the storylines uh, yeah. right because the story basically stays like it's, it's the same main story maybe each season has its own yeah type of, yeah built-in story but every episode has its own isolated story whereas in this uh, of course we're still we really love the characters and we come back for them but we also have this added story element that we're really hooked to because we want to yeah. know what's happening next. And uh, the same with like how Lost functioned. For sure. Yeah, it's it's gripping. Like, And I didn't mention, I forgot to mention again, I always forget. This part of the podcast is non-spoilers. And after the musical break, we'll dive in deeper into spoiler time. There's a musical break? Cha-cha-cha, cha-cha-cha. Yes. Ooh, I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely story driven. And so I don't if it's know. if it well if it's just for that alone, you definitely should go see this if you haven't started watching it. Right, definitely. Because it's a good story that uh, leaves and you wanting more after each episode. Because it's questioning a lot of big life questions, mm-hmm. or it's like try exploring answers to big, big like our probably humanity's deepest questions oh definitely so it's that part's really interesting too and well, that's part of like what critics have mm-hmm. responded very positively to also right 
sort of like exploring philosophy and ethics and absolutely that kind of those topics which are never really covered explicitly especially not in comedy right yeah like any michael Schur sitcom he has some like big names and then a lot of fresh faces too mm-hmm. and Kristen bell and ted danson were the main the only kind of like famous cast members and everyone else was kind of newer faces hmm. and oh i can't say this i'll wait <laughs> okay but yeah something that was interesting about this season was I, it took me a few episodes to actually kind of get hooked in I that's felt why like when i when i initially made cameron watch it i was like give me four episodes yeah like i mean the first four <laughs> or five episodes they uh, they kind of stayed in the same territory for me they didn't add too much newness for me to be like, oh, well, you know, how are they going to like, where are they going to go from here? Yeah, it was it stayed isolated in the one main character. But then, you know, stuff happens. And then fortunately, which is what we want out of any good movie or TV shows, they do raise the stakes. They yeah. do pull it into new plot lines that help expand the concept beyond just the surface level that mm-hmm. we think it is in the beginning. And honestly, well, we're a few episodes, probably like five episodes into season two. Mm-hmm. And season two is stays. I, I've watched all of it. It stays really consistent as well. And I feel like that's if you start the show, it feels like how can they keep going so long? It's like they somehow do it and they do a good job of like keeping it interesting and keeping the stakes high in different ways and. But it not getting repetitive and boring at the same time. You know? I mean, it's the good place. How how varied can it get? It's the good place. I don't know. I, I, it surprised me also like when I was reading up about it that season two has even higher scores than season one. Oh, cool. Even though I think that's also because if people didn't like season one, they're probably not going to watch season two. I don't know. That, that also seems likely. But it just sh- shocked me that it was like so equal to it mm-hmm. when season one is pretty strong mm-hmm. so like it's cool i mean to me they were both very strong and i'm again just as like on the edge of my seat as i was because i mean if every episode's gonna end in a cliffhanger you know the finale's gonna end in a huge cliffhanger mm-hmm. so season two just left me on the edge of my seat just as much as season one did that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like season three has a lot of potential as well. And I'm excited to see it soon. I mean, I'm tempted to, uh, I, I, I think I'm going to watch <laughs> You're tempted. it. I think I'm going to watch it live. Like as it yeah, comes. We should. We should. Do you know what's its air spot? Is it like a I think Wednesday it's like night Wednesday, or Thursday? Wednesday, okay. yeah. Cool. <laughs> Wednesday night at eight or something. I doubt it would be Thursday. On NBC. Apparently Thursday night, you know who dominates Thursday night? Apparently oh. on network television. Big Shonda, Bang Theory. Shonda Rhimes. Oh, right. You're, that sounds right. Yeah, like Grey's Anatomy has always been on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scandal. Yeah. Right? Scandal. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what we learned. I mean, it was like a little joke that in my producing class on the first day, the teacher was like, who owns Thursday night? It's Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And nobody's I mean, battled her for like the last 10 years for that because she holds, she dominates the ratings. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Just like any time I've known someone that watches one of her shows, they're always like on Thursday watching. <laughs> I feel like Big Bang Theory is Monday night. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's ending. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> it's I'll, been a while. I'll cry a tear. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm excited to see if The Good Place brings about more innovation in sitcoms since there's so many of them. But like there's also just like any genre and a lot, just network TV. There's so many that don't make it past mm-hmm. one season. Mm-hmm. So it's like I wonder if The Good Place will help like inspire innovation or like changing up the format a little bit well it's very transformative and it's exciting to see if it can sustain that and hopefully open up a new generation for the 30 minute comedy spot yeah Um, they pack so much in they do you get mad about it but i do (laughs) it's it's crazy they i mean because usually it's only like 21 or 22 minutes when you look at it when you're streaming it uh without commercials but these uh range from 23 to 24 minutes and well so there's like hardly an intro there's barely an intro (laughs) compared to like a parks and rec or brooklyn and nine intro it's like literally two seconds it's pretty standard to have a 30 second intro yeah uh but this show doesn't have that it's just uh literally one slide yeah right and no credits yeah um well the credits are overlaid during the action um but also (laughs) similar in the end where usually they cut away to do a whole separate credit segment what Um, is that called that's called something funny is it yeah it is because they talk about it on the comeback which is a show sure yeah niche show but it's i don't know it's because i remember like she gets at that spot and then she gets like an ad over her and she gets mad about it oh that's so funny because it's like she's on a sitcom and she's supposed to get the last funny line and then you know sometimes they when you're watching live tv they show like the next thing that's coming right. up and it's that's like, usually how it is yeah <laughs> oh and then they squish the credits down and yeah and that happened to her and she got all pissed <laughs> and the comeback i'm talking about the comeback and lisa kudrow and that but yeah so i like i didn't know how i felt about this at first watching the first season you were mad about i it. was um, <laughs> that's how you felt i think i've gotten used to it by this point just because i've come around to accept the serialized nature of it yeah. i just that the whole point is that i wasn't used to having a cliffhanger uh, in this format so that's why i was <laughs> upset but yeah so they overlay well i in brooklyn 99 they overlay the credits yeah. too but they have a hard cut at the end at the end of the it's credits. not a cliffhanger so right. it's like less stressful but here they'll end the credits and then there's still a leftover five or ten seconds that usually has wherever the cliffhanger is yeah i think like part of my frustration was that there was a lot of important information when the credits mm-hmm. were rolling over and it felt like too much of a distraction for based on the content that was uh, happening on screen and that's how yeah and so i was like you just gotta focus <sighs> i guess <laughs> you don't want to focus yeah well <laughs> we have a lot to cover from I know, here I know. and so uh, is this something you would recommend yes Good. I do. I do. Especially if you're a fan of Michael Schur's work. And I feel like everyone is at least of one of them. Or if you watched Cheers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is different. It's right. it's no n- new iteration of The Office. It's right. like it's whole. It's totally different. I guess probably also if I mean, I think the they've tried to say. Like Michael Schur wanted, he he toyed around at first with the idea of making it religious based, but yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he opted on it being neutral and for everyone, like right. all religions and no religion. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's a very inclusive 
format. It's true. But anybody, I think, who has had questions about the afterlife or about what happens after your life on Earth, interesting from that standpoint. So yeah. uh, check it out, which is all of us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess a side and note. Season one and two are both on Netflix. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you have no excuse. Easy They're so access. short. They're very short. Yeah. Yeah. Only 13 seasons an episode. Yeah. I mean, literally, we started watching this like three days ago and I've already, yeah. I'm already halfway through the second season. So, and that's a lot nah. for me. Oh yeah, I guess halfway. I forget like episode five is already like yeah. inching to halfway. So I was just going to do a side note. And if you were like us and didn't know what Ted Danson's significance was. Yeah. So in the podcast, they're always talking about like how iconic and legendary Ted Danson is who plays Michael in the show, if you've seen it. And, I, I didn't really understand. I was like, I'm probably too young, but even the young people. So I guess it's people that also like are good actors or in the business that like know their history. Right. Because there, a lot of them are young too. Many of them would have been kids when they were right. watching this. Yeah. But yeah, so he is the protagonist in Cheers. Yeah. He's the, he plays the main character. Which is like the OG Seinfeld Friends yeah. sort of sitcom yeah. format. It was an incredibly popular sitcom during the 1980s. Uh, did you know that... So its final episode had 90 plus million viewers. Why would I know that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was just funny because uh, they apparently hyped it up as being... It's going to be the most watched TV uh, thing ever and it was uh it came in second place behind mash uh the, oh. <laughs> the mash finale still holds the record still yeah like to this day pretty sure are you sure i'm pretty sure i don't think so no it's massive i would think friends would no definitely not what or seinfeld no definitely not see the reason and the, the argument for those shows is the same argument for cheers was that when mash concluded it was still there were only three or four uh, TV networks at the time. Yeah, but versus even then, like there were so many people. Well, like cable TV hadn't wasn't a thing yet. Most, I know, but so like everybody was on the same wavelength. What about like a Super Bowl mm. or like an Olympics or or like a presidential NBA speech? Finals. Nixon resigning. <laughs> yeah, anything. Um, I mean, I have to double check the or the moon phraseology. I'm not sure if it's the most watched episode, like TV episode of anything uh -huh. or like the most watched TV event. But MASH is definitely at least the most watched TV episode ever, if not the hmm. largest uh, tune in TV event of all time. I'm not 100% sure about the last part. But anyways, it's, the whole point is that the season finale of Cheers had 90 plus million viewers, which today is unheard of. So that just speaks to its cultural significance. And yeah. well, yeah, there's some other reasons. If you wanted to know about Cheers, you can go look into it. But um, without further ado, we will roll over to the second part of our, our podcast now. <laughs> and basically, that means if you haven't watched a good, The Good Place yet, you should stop here and go watch it and then at least season one and then you can come on back and listen to our discussion of yeah it. we'll keep the spoilers to season one mm -hmm. because we're not done with season two anyway so right. sounds yeah. good all right well we look forward to hearing you on the other side Thanks so much for joining us back here in Heike Studios. You've got it locked in to Heike Book Club with Zeleni and Cameron. I'm Cameron. I'm Zeleni. 
Why are we introducing <laughs> ourselves again? You know who we are. Okay, so now we're in the spoiler parts. Please leave if you haven't seen The Good Place. Please. And, okay. So, lots of things. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. We get to (laughs) open the floodgates. Right. (laughs) Right, right, right. So, we can stop pretending to be cool about the twist because we were playing it cool earlier. We were. Because we don't... Because that's the thing. And it it happens to me a lot when someone tells me something's, like, amazing or, like, oh, my God, you have to see this. That makes me feel like there might be a twist. Or depending on how enthused they are, or even if they say it, like... Sometimes I say, like, oh, I just had such a good twist. Then the whole time I'm just thinking about, like, what's the twist going to be, you know? And so we were, I told Cameron, because also for him, I tried my best to keep it cool and not act like there's this big twist at the end. Yeah, you had to rewatch it with me. And you (laughs) played it so cool. I was so amazed he was shook by the twist too yes so i was wait this is so important if you have not watched it yet please turn around yes now you know there's a twist yeah but flood warning you don't know yeah so uh, we were trying to play a cool earlier but it's it's a good one it's a good twist it's great (laughs) i mean it makes sense with something with so many cliffhangers to have Mm -hmm. a lot of twists and and it has a lot of twists it's not just like the major one at the end i feel like the part where Jason Mendoza gets revealed, mm-hmm. that's like kind of a big mid twist mm-hmm. or like early twist. Yeah, for sure. Um, because you don't expect that at all either. Right. You exp- He looks very like Zen. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And he's not. <laughs> it's kind all. of a midpoint reversal, kind of. Kind of. I mean, it just shows you like, oh, there's more to this than this basic plot, which right. they had, Michael Schur had thought just the plot would be just Eleanor not fitting in at first. And it's sort of like they ran into a wall of like, well, what makes the show special? Like, why would we watch that? Just like, what do we do after like four or five episodes? Yeah. (laughs) Like, and which is what you were talking about. You thinking about when you first started it. Right. Like, where is it going? Like, there's not much you can do, but that's how it felt for the first four. It's just her trying to fit in. Yeah. Or like, how can there be a season two or anything beyond? There's a lot that feels, I don't know, you don't expect all these things to come to you. But yeah, so only Kristen Bell and Ted Danson knew the twist when they signed on because Michael Schur was like, oh, these are like A-list people and I can't just make them sign on to something. They don't know how it's going to end because they're like stars. So everyone else, it's like, oh, well, they're like this is their big break <laughs> so it's right. fine you can do whatever you want but these these people needed to know they have more elaborate contracts and stuff so i wonder what the process was like to sign ted danson on because he's 70 years old i mean he can he's right. probably fine going on without doing tv anymore but like and i don't know if he was in any other kind of projects prior to this like yeah. just prior i don't know i think they just Thought he would be like really good for that role, and they called him up, and yeah, it worked. And definitely. So the same thing for Kristen Bell. They just kind of called her, or Michael Schur just mm-hmm. called her up and pitched it to her straight, straight to her. Didn't go through her agent or anything. And Kristen Bell and Ted were really happy because they had started a movie together a oh. couple of years ago, oh. and they were really happy because they were like, "Oh, we got to they work like together. working together. They yeah. like working together." That's so good. it was like it. it Michael Scherr talked about it being like kind of like the universe being like for the project mm-hmm. or just like 
things working out well mm-hmm. and that being a good sign. Everybody has pretty good chemistry in the show. Yeah, it's it's good. And they found some good newcomers. I mean, mm-hmm. they talked to in the podcast. I heard the episode with Allison Jones, who has done the casting for Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and now this. Right. Not Rashida Jones. Not Rashida Jones, like Cameron thought. So she, he was like, casting by Allison Jones. That's the girl from Parks and Rec. And I was <laughs> like, no, that's Rashida Jones. Oh, wow. He almost bet me a million dollars. Palm face. That. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a million dollars. Well, exactly. Oh. He was very sure, and I was like, "No." And we're about to go to Las Vegas. Oh no! <laughs> right. So, the Allison Jones talked about the casting and how some characters were like, like Tahani. They literally had all the requirements, like very specific, what she should be, like British, Indian, or Pakistani, very tall, like very glamorous, like all these prerequisites and they were like how are we gonna find this girl but Allison Jones is really good and she found her but she was like a BBC presenter which oh, is like okay cool kind of like a TV host huh I don't know Americans seem to be very confused by what a TV presenter is but I feel like growing up in Mexico like around Mexican TV I I know it's like those people that like are Ryan on Seacrest Kind of, but like the non-famous versions, like people that are just like out at award shows and stuff. I guess the people that are like at the Oscars and stuff that you don't even know who they are talking about like, oh, yeah. oh what's going to like the pre-show, mm-hmm. the, the, all those random people. I think that's kind of what a TV presenter is. I mean, there's a random side note, but apparently the female prosecutor on the OJ Simpson trial, the uh, side that lost, she went on and um, was a like Oscar red carpet host (laughs) presenter. That's random. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. So Tahani was that for the BBC and the BBC has a lot of them and they're kind of actors are kind of bitchy to them. Like they they're seen as like inferior Hmm. uh, professions. I don't know. It's weird, but she was a TV presenter and they found her and she worked out really well. Like she fit all of the criteria. And then Janet was kind of the other side, the opposite way in that they had no idea what they wanted her to look like or mm. be like when casting. So they cast like every age, every gender, every mm. look, like everything. And Darcy, it's kind of the girl, that it, she's the girl that plays Janet mm-hmm. and she comes from an improv background. Oh. And I can w- see that. She was on Broad City, I uh. think, according to my friends. And she's just very improv She's very good, apparently, from what I hear on the podcast. I haven't gotten to the episode what she's on, which I'm excited for. She has quick wit. She does. Quick, quick quips. She's just, like, funny. And mm-hmm. then there's, like, you, you also get her as Bad Janet, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Like, you remember right. Bad Janet? Yeah. yeah. And she's able to just, like, keep her cool. Like, right? She's always right. smiling yeah. every time. And, and anything is just, she has the same expression for everything. Yeah, she's funny. She yeah. She's, like, believable as, like, this weird AI thing. Like, which Alexa. <laughs> yeah, they don't even, like, they talk about on the podcast how they don't even really know what she is or, like, like, that's the character they don't understand very well. Yeah. <laughs> They're just kind of like, yeah, that's Janet. So. But it's cool how they've been able to work Janet more into the well, storyline. Yeah, like, I totally uh, yeah. was not expecting her, 
relationship with Jason to develop. Right. And yeah. It's that's really clever. Twist. Yeah. <laughs> it's really clever and really, uh, it makes so much sense. Like I'm so glad that they thought about it because it gives us a new appreciation for Jason. It, it opens up that soft side of him who otherwise we have no reason to really yeah. like Jason. I think Jason's so funny. Like, and I don't this know. Is so, this is so confusing to me because you never like the, you know, deadpan, not deadpan, but the slapstick humor type. That's like stupid humor. Well, he's not stupid humor. I like, that's the thing. Like, I like when the characters are a satire of like a type of person that I can like mm. imagine. You can pinpoint. Yeah. But like a very real type of person, oh. especially with men, because there's so many men that fall into these like 12 year old boy well, having yeah, grown up like <laughs> trying to be something like cool and like yeah because like same in parks and rec my favorite character is aziz ansari's mm, tom because uh-huh. that's just hilarious to me i know who that guy is like in real life you know and it's just hilarious to me how well they make fun of them through right. the character and it's the same thing with jason i think he's so funny dj from florida like uh, <laughs> it's just so like i he exists yeah he exists that's why <laughs> you know mm-hmm. i love i love characters that like can make fun of a type of person that's kind of an asshole yeah like same with tom <laughs> when i first watched the the first season i was kind of I had like just some interpretations that were about because so, you know, the title card says created by Michael Sherg, which is a new thing. Like he he doesn't have that really that prominently in any of the previous sitcoms. And then Ted Danson's character was named Michael. And that started my brain sort of thinking of like, Okay, so is this Michael sort of a representation of Michael Schur? And I'm not so sure. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> anyway, let <laughs> me finish. So that's what started this train of thought. That's just like a fun theory. Now, now that I've heard the podcast, I know it's not really what it's about, but it just made me think of like putting characters together when writing. Like it being a metaphor for writing a TV show because when you write a TV show, Michael, the Ted Danson character being the writer, let's say in this situation or the creator, he's the creator of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, you have to write these characters to make conflict with each other, to make you a show. And that's hard. <laughs> no, in that sense, it totally makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of, to me, it was kind of a metaphor of like, making a show and then him having like the so pressure is of hell like the executives yeah well <laughs> the hell network. in general is just like hollywood or like mm. tv pr- production wow, and like you're reading really deep into this i know i know i just and he doesn't mention it on the podcast so i'm thinking it's either like just very subtle and like not the, his main purpose or just like coincidence but it's just to me it felt kind of like like the pressure from sean the judge yeah he, he's the judge but he's yeah. really michael's yeah, boss yeah. Sean. <laughs> sean yeah like to me that represents pressure from like the network to like make this interesting make this work mm-hmm. make this whatever he or like also and how he doesn't see emotion only facts yeah and 
also like being not wanting to try something new it's like why not try good old-fashioned torture we know it works like good old-fashioned sitcoms we know it works like it just all feels very like easily paralleled that's a great point especially since michael you're just Schur. basing it all on the character's name being michael well that's what spurred it but yeah. I, I see a lot of parallels and i think it's valid i just think it's it makes sense after michael sure being in the business so long just like being tired of like the same formula all the time you know it mm-hmm. to me that it seems like some manifestation of his like tiredness yeah i i i, I agree i hear it i see I, it. I just thought that was interesting and then and then how like you might write a character and how they might the character might get away from you like mm. eleanor mm-hmm. and everyone gets away and he doesn't he can't get them to do what he wants it's like that can also happen in writing mm-hmm. characters like they can sort of get their own voice and lead you in weird directions that you right don't you want. just you you think you know the character yeah. but then when they actually get thrown into the situations they start coming they they do things that surprise you as the writer yeah so i don't know it just felt very parallel i mean it's also I think he he became aware of the play No Exit. Mm. It's like an old play mm-hmm. where three strangers die and they put them in a room together in the afterlife and they end up driving each other crazy. And I think that's well, according to Wikipedia, that's where the quote comes. Hell is other people, which I couldn't agree more. But <laughs> that's that. Once he Michael Schur became aware of that play, he was like, oh, that's where my show needs to go that's what got him to like what it became like learning about that play Hmm. and it also that reminded me a lot of just the concept of reality tv and what it is (laughs) like literally it's the same thing like it really is reality tv is putting a bunch of unstable and extreme personalities in a small space to drive each other crazy to make you money to film it like for you call it the simple life well no that's scripted <laughs> just kidding. call it big brother or top model or right. drag race whatever but just thinking about how they put on the facade of calling it a good place of a good thing yeah and exactly. not so much yeah Some yeah that's another parallel that it feels similar to like the writing tv theory i have but also mm-hmm. feels like could also be taken as some sort of commentary not not on purpose but it reminds me a lot of reality tv especially the kind where the people live in the house together which yeah. is a lot of shows like the bachelor anything it's just i don't know it it, it makes you think how fucked up because they're lit these are literally demons torturing humans I, I feel like you know you could that's a big insult quote-unquote to reality producers yeah (laughs) you know because they're comparing them to demons (laughs) so what is adam scott does he come back in season two yeah okay wait no well well just like wait no (laughs) because i was trying to figure that out i was trying to resolve his he's just another demon yeah i guess so and they just bring him in for like they brought him in to like play this part of like the only bad place person but mm-hmm. he was really a co-worker <laughs> pretty much <laughs> to yeah. everyone yeah it's, it's also very truman show-esque mm-hmm. in a lot of ways of like the everyone's an actor 
Right. It's like four instead of one Truman, there's four. For sure. It, it was odd to me. Bec- I mean, I think it was odd to me in the first few episodes because until they go into Jason's plot line, because I thought it strange that there weren't any other people that we were getting to know and yeah. learn about. Um, they kind of came close with the swinger couple, quote yeah, unquote, that yeah. they were forced to live with during the sinkhole period. But other than that, there is no deep uh, involvement of any of the other right. actors in the town, which was strange to me. It's like, what is their purpose? What are they doing? Yeah. And then, yeah, it's, I don't understand how they have so many like demons that I are know, willing right? to participate. I agree. That. I mean, same with the Truman Show. I guess mm-hmm. all these people. <laughs> yeah, it just it seems like a lot for just four people. And they had, had to film that intro video, welcome video, <laughs> and all that. Well, but also, I think they always, so they usually wiggle their way out of that argument by the argument that, like, for these eternal beings, time, the scale of time is super different because mm. they're like. This is, they're eternal. They're, they're immortal. So mm-hmm. like a week or planning, you know, it's just, it's like a minute, you know, it's right. like, or it's a all second. Re- re- relative to yeah. that. Yeah. And it's not, it's insignificant. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the argument for a lot of like, why so much effort? It's like, well, we have all the time in the world, so why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's in concept, it's like this time loop. Right. It was also a little eternal sunshine with mm-hmm. the wiping of the memories. and. Yeah, exactly. And like we never met, but we fall back in love. I mean, possibly we've, we've seen <laughs> this concept somewhat in some movies, but I've never seen it in a TV show. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, well, you kind of had, well, no, but that was once Lost was very derailed, but <laughs> there were some parts of Lost. Derailed, it got derailed. It did. Yeah. Like when the flash sideways happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that. Um, but the time loop idea, I think, is uh, really cool to bring that to TV. And I'm excited to see again how they do that in the seasons to come, if they're going to continue with that. The two movies that came to mind, there's Groundhog Day that's oh, sort of like uh-huh. that. And then there's also this action movie with Tom Cruise that came out uh, a few years ago. It's like a name, a person's name, I think. Oh. Um, I can't... Maybe it's not. I can't remember. But it's an action movie. It's actually a really good action movie. I was surprised. It's skeptical. Yeah. The only thing, the, the main difference is that in those movies, everybody retains their memory when the day repeats. But here, everybody's memory gets wiped when they have to repeat from scratch. But again, it's just uh, innovative to bring that to televisions, which uh, I want to commend Michael sure for. What about the points? Oh, well, yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of like part of the very original pitch of mm. it, of just like what if. Like in how life could you grade people for their good deeds? Well, just like what if life had points in sort of a video game kind of way. Mm. Where you gain and lose points. I wish it were that easy. <laughs> right. It might be. <laughs> you I, don't there know. was a there was a period of my life where I started to think that way. It's kinda like karma points. Yeah. I mean I was starting to look at it as I, I felt like I was reaping the benefits from doing good deeds in the moment in this life and they were coming back to me immediately. So I kind of got on that, you know, bandwagon of just continuing to do good things and seeing good things come back to me. But I think at some point 
uh, I just stopped. No, you still do too much. I think your point oh, yeah, total you is pretty high, honestly. Aww, thank you. Well, maybe your lateness has deducted a lot too, though. Probably my horn honking too. Well, <laughs> that's they deserve it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think I have low points. Yeah. Probably. I'm not an asshole. I am. Okay. <laughs> I am, but not like in a not to strangers like Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And not a huge asshole, just a little bit. But you you do a lot more good deeds. I try to. You're too many. Well, in my opinion. I you know. I, I had this like monk type of figure in my life <laughs> when I was 17 and he was a good friend of mine. And so his like kind of coming of age and good spiritualness rubbed off on me. And so I've kind of retained, I think, that mentality and that that statelihood of doing it's good too things. too optimistic and too trusting. I think that's where the downfall is. It's definitely too trusting. Definitely too trusting. Without but screening. Yeah. <laughs> and of just other people being good back to you. But that's kind of a theme in the show, right? Is like, yeah. who can you trust? Uh, they're kind of too trusting of the people who say they claim to be. Right. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, it's nice the show is more optimistic. Definitely more optimistic than I am about like humans changing and Mm-hmm. learning well i put know? down that one of the i put down that karma was a important theme in the show uh relationships seems to be an important theme too mm-hmm. making sure uh or just like knowing who is doing something good for you when they're doing it and when that should be acknowledged and how mm-hmm. how that should be acknowledged mm-hmm. uh, because i think that's part of eleanor's arc in the first season is learning how to appreciate when somebody is going out of their way for her to uh improve mm-hmm. or uh, just helping her right yeah. when somebody's helping her in turn over the course of the season it does help her develop into a morally good person right uh which is and, and so it's cool actually how in the format of the show and how this other character who is a philosophy professor is uh able to work in these very real concrete concepts of morality into the characters and stories in the show Mm -hmm. um i mean moral philosophy is crazy and ethics i i've talked about it before i think how i was in like this weird english classes in high school like the it was called the gt program it just sounds so pretentious but it's it's like i guess it was the advanced kind of english but it was cool because we got to explore sort of deeper things rather than just like typical fiction stuff. And we definitely had a big like philosophy semester at one point where we had to study all of, a lot of these philosophers they talk about in the show. The problem with high school projects and all that is that or in that in those classes, I would always be in a group that just gets one part of so basically I know about Kant and I know about no oh, one else right? because <laughs> that right. was my group. And we also had like a big religion. I guess that was also the philosophy, but like a different philosophy mm-hmm. part where it was like between Hinduism and Buddhism. And, and it was similar how you only got to learn. I only about learned one. about Hinduism. I'm oh. just like, okay, like I know of a small fraction. And then 
everyone's supposed to pay attention to the presentations, the presentations of yeah. everyone else but it's like you're not going to retain it if right it's like nobody's taking notes it's too much for one day of presentation yeah someone's just reading you right. know it's just like you're not gonna retain that half the people up there presenting don't want to be up there to begin yeah, with yeah like i definitely didn't care about my subject but i just had to write something up so i learned a little bit about kant which like <laughs> it's pronounced kant <laughs> If you didn't know, but Whoa. yeah, we can say that in high school, but yeah. they, they, the teacher said that, well, she didn't say it, but she said like, it's pronounced, but I always <laughs> thought it was Emmanuel can't, no, it's can't, <laughs> <laughs> but he's very anti-lying. Mm. I also learned about utilitarianism and debate. Cool. <laughs> because it's like great. It's good for the greatest number of people. Yeah. That's all it means. But I mean, I feel which good is, that which I had like, that education because, like, you know. It's like a theme in this show, utilitarianism. Right. That's another philosophy. I actually have one of my good friends in Houston who's a doctor at the med school. He uh, practices utilitarianism. It's, like, what he most closely, from, like, a logical standpoint, uh, can align with. Like, spiritually? Yeah. Or, like, morally, I guess? Mor- yeah, yeah, exactly. It's. I mean, actually, you're not there yet, but season two brings it up in like a big way oh. where you see how it could be bad. But it's yeah. like, no, it, I it mean, hard choices. Yeah. I mean, and I remember well, still like from back then. It's there's, you know, flaws with it. And yeah. uh, they kind of alluded to it in season one where he yeah. talks about, you know, does torturing one per does you know, saving a hundred people justify torturing one person for it. Right, right, right. You know? And that, but it comes up in huge ways in season two. And oh, it's, it's cool. I'm excited. I mean, it's cool. But I had one ethics class, and oh, it was okay. at Houston Community College. I in had fact, an right engineering ethics class, which was oh. not anything philosophical because it's all about just facts. So, not fun, but that's interesting. Yeah, we just talked about like. It didn't even matter, but (laughs) nothing. I mean, did it have to do with safety? Yeah, kind of. It just kind of like being having integrity, structural integrity in in your company. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Oh, okay. Corporate integrity, pretty much. Just like, oh, if you see like harassment or get harassed, you report it. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, lame. Nothing like fun and philosophical, Mm -hmm. but. My ethics it, class was I cool. I remember, yeah, philosophy back in high school. It was like mm-hmm. hard choices. Yeah. We talked about it in conjunction with Les Mis. Interesting. I mean, I hate that book because it was so long. And I don't, that's why I've never but been interested. I don't care. It was it awful. We overanalyzed it. And because, you know, there's big moral questions that come out of it, like the stealing bread for if your family's starving or whatever, that's like a, the big morality question. Yeah. I don't know. We, that's what we talked Cause there's also like prostitution and lots of stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I hated limits, but I like the philosophy stuff. Okay. Except I wish I would have gotten a more holistic uh, yeah. education on the different philosophers, not right. just Kant. <laughs> yeah. You could always go to a community college class. Uh, I should. Uh, no, Honestly, for philosophy, that'd be so lame. Yeah, that'd I be really, so much work. Yeah, I really somehow I managed to get an A in my class. I don't know how, 
but I, I mean, I had a really interesting professor. He was kind of like the, in some ways, like the quintessential type of community college professor who was always rushing to get to class. Yeah. And gosh, there were times where we would have to wait so long for him yeah. uh, just to get to class on time and start. So he was like super, I mean, f- I'm sorry if you're listening to this, but um, <laughs> He's not. yeah, I mean, he was a little sloppy and then because of that, in his like kind of in his personal life and you could tell, um, which is probably why he never had a university level position, even though he had a doctor degree and all that. And he was just so smart. Like he knew this material back and forth, but he also had communication difficulties where he would ramble on and on and on. And he would like say he would make a statement and then he would use his like philosophy, logical reasoning to like battle himself, himself. about what he Which said. Which happens a lot in, with Cheaty in The Good Place. Uh, yeah, exactly. he's always like, exactly. oh, but this guy says this and this guy says that. And, oh, that which, was, like, which one? That was my philosophy professor. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, we never knew exactly what we should know. Right. Because <laughs> he was arguing that you can never know anything anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's so... It's, Philosophy is so hard. Yeah. It, but it's beautiful, too. Right. No, it's it's fun. It's good to remain skeptical and question everything. Yeah. I, I liked it. I wish I would have gotten more education on it, honestly. Yeah. If Yeah. Honestly, it was the first exposure I ever had to being able to equate out a sound argument, knowing, mm-hmm. like, if an argument is sound or unsound based on very basic functions yeah but yeah unfortunately i should know more about Immanuel kant uh from that class than <laughs> i do but because the professor was so sloppy and always getting there late we never got to him so oh, got it. <laughs> he had to omit him from the got final it. and from the lesson well class. he was basically just anti-lying in any way which is deeply flawed because it, it's hmm. it's like if a robber it's basically like if a robber comes in and your family is hiding from him in the closet and he finds you and he asks you like is there anyone else here where are they you have to like according to Kant you have to tell him that's messed up though because it's involving it's implicating another person it's involving another person and I think that there should be exceptions made for that type of reasoning and that's what other philosophers I think this was before the holocaust how do you know well I know Kant was I know what period Kant was I definitely was. don't remember periods for sure Well you know Mr. Historian I know over here Plato was first Or was it Aristotle? Wow <laughs> Or Socrates Wrong <laughs> Both times Who was it? Socrates? <laughs> Socrates is first Then Plato Yes Then Aristotle Yes SPA. When was Nietzsche? <laughs> <laughs> I mean in some sense Nietzsche is like the most recent <laughs> What about Freud? Nietzsche isn't necessarily a philosopher. He's more of a... He's a philosopher. He was one of the groups. Yeah, but he's considered a <laughs> psychoanalyst. Okay. He, when was Freud? He invented... Uh, sci- not psychology, but psychiatry, right? He He's like the father of psychoanalysts analysis, which is kind of the birthplace of clinical psychology. But anyway, Kant was pretty sure late 1700s, early 1800s. Oh. When was Kind of like it, he was during the Enlightenment period, right? Like oh. during that like transition. Like kind of late, late Enlightenment. Yeah. Well, Thoreau was, he was not, not he Enlightenment. He wasn't a philosopher. Oh. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider Thoreau Enlightenment. No, Thoreau so. is considered transcendental. Author. Oh, right, right, right. We had a unit on that too. Yes. It was all about like, that was when we read the Tao of Pooh. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, transcendentalism <laughs> is so interesting to me. It was kind of a short-lived movement. In some sense, that's also where utilitarianism 
also fell into was during that transcendentalism time. But we had a long ass unit on that. Yeah, <laughs> I had a whole unit on it in my American literature class. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's more like American studies. Well, the problem with transcendentalism is that it's rooted in this like elitism of the early United States during the mid 1800s. I mean, because it's like do nothing, but it's like, but it's from rich white people who afford, who could afford to do nothing. Exactly. Like that's (laughs) only if you can, you're not like struggling to survive every day. (laughs) Exactly. Can you do nothing? I get that. Um, so Kant's probably a little bit closer to some reality. I see that, that whole lying thing is a big loop or like annoying thing about Kant. Mm. Like interesting. You can't lie. I want to learn more. We should. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as I, I would I would love to learn more about what he has to say about lying because I definitely have like my own. I could write a personal essay, I feel like, about, <laughs> about lying and my struggles with it. With lying or with not lying? But <laughs> What are you lying about? I mean, I don't think I'm lying about anything now, but... Oh. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but I mean... That could be just a, another lie. It's just something that since I was a really since i guess like a child yeah i had to i think the first thing that i ever lied about was r- involving pokemon cards oh actually <laughs> like it's the first time i can re- vividly remember having to lie to my parents because i had to tell them no i didn't take my pokemon cards to school today oh <laughs> it was an issue like right, right, right. it was like pokemon cards were like the cell phones of Back the then. early 2000s it's true <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I mean, mine was the sneaking out to the store. That's mm-hmm. the most I remember. But it was quite a rush, an adrenaline rush. Yeah, because lying is such an easy thing to do. And when you, I think the first time you get away with it, then you see the power in it for yourself. And so it has high potential for abuse. And I mean, you know, that's one argument for something like the church that is supposed to instill some sort of good virtue in you. Right, that's the whole point to have yeah organized or even these promises of the afterlife i think that's why i mean i think that's one reason why i lied so much was because i didn't have any kind of mediating Mm. uh entity to tell me otherwise other than my parents spanking me right (laughs) i didn't have much either even though we were like mexican catholic which is more like culturally catholic rather Mm. than like actual yeah yeah like devoted yeah <laughs> so well what about the flying shrimp what about them <laughs> i just thought they were cool oh okay cool it's, it's cool to see flying shrimp on tv well it's cool to see special effects in comedy and they actually True. do they do a very good job of special effects for being a just major tv network like usually they don't spend much even on the dramas that rely heavily on cgi and stuff like you can uh, you can see it's not the best quality sometimes but it's pretty good quality especially for a comedy yeah definitely i mean i love like the production design of it a lot it's so good it has beautiful colors it's on really does some universal studios lot apparently in california (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's and that's where it is (laughs) in la yeah um beverly hills or wherever the hell this is the bad place. What is the good place? I don't know. Where's the good place? I don't know. We have a whole show titled The Good Place, know, right? but we don't actually know if there even is a good place. You don't think there is one? 
we can't confirm. All we know is the bad place no, trying to pretend like they, it's good. The only illusion really is that Janet has been stolen. No, there's there has to be a good place because there's a medium place and right. they they had a video of the good and the bad. And they're trying to get from what I know in season two, they're trying to get to the good place. But we shouldn't talk about no that. No spoilers. You're right. <laughs> that's that's just exciting for me to think about. Uh, I think that it gives more room for the series to grow yeah. if they're trying to expand it to the good place. And I wonder I mean, what I feel actor like they're going to bring in to be the head of the good place if they go that direction. Oh, my God. You have no idea. There's a really fun guest star at the end of season two Ooh. that was so i was so happy to see them oh a-list <laughs> comedy a-list i'd say okay <laughs> okay i don't know <laughs> but someone i was very happy to see very cool yeah what about soulmates the soulmate i wonder structure. if that's what in the actual good place they have right if they even have that i mean yeah i wonder it's very interesting that they utilize the soulmate, uh huh, like myth or right sort of the idea of it. Yeah, because I mean, there's no way to prove that something like a soulmate exists, but I like how they implement it in the systematic way into the format uh, or the premise of the good place. Right, um, and it's an important feature to further justify the predetermined relationships that the architect has designed for everybody. Um, so I just think it's a fun, fluffy, cool mechanism that the average audience person can understand and comprehend, especially from right. the beginning. Yeah. 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 And how that in itself induces this conflict when the soulmate system is dictated by an automated system. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, most average people have an issue with some computer trying to tell them that this is your soulmate. Right. It's just so fun. Like, I mean, them expanding into the fantasy sort of genre gave them so many, like, fun new things to play with like that. Mm -hmm. Like, stuff like, oh, we're snorting time. Or oh, like, yeah. Or like, That's oh, the, the flavor of full cell phone charge. Like, oh, it's so Stuff true. like that. It's like, oh, you like understand, you get it. Right. But it's like There's more room fantasy. to write. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's more room for like fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Well, the show had a really strong ensemble uh, we've definitely gotten into most of them. I just wanted to say in a general sense regarding Eleanor, I think that it's really cool how this show does serve some real purpose, I feel like, in showing w what the good example should be in a general sense for like an average human being in society. Uh, yeah, speaking like, from a society sense. Like making fun of people that, are assholes yeah. yeah yeah it's like if you're mean then this is how you know you come more off. or less yeah to yeah. the average person like how most people are looking at you right it's so true yeah like because i get that i'm definitely guilty of walking past you know those people with the when in austin it's like save the children or whatever they're called but like <laughs> They're always harassing you on the street. Oh, yeah. They're like, do you care about the children? And I'm like, I need to go to a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get that. Like, right. But Don't you care about the environment? 
<laughs> so I thought that that was cool. I I just yeah. think that is a cool function yeah, of I the mean, show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's teaching people or showing people that what what is being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Which is good because there's so many out there. Because really, I, I wish they would explore more traffic related ones so that yeah. people can learn out there. It's true. <laughs> How uh, to behave. For real. How to turn on their blinkers. Hey, for <laughs> sure. On that same note, what is interesting, uh, it took me so long to try to figure out who the antagonist is because we uh. don't know who it is. <laughs> and for all we know, the antagonist is the protagonist. Right. Right? Because she's, she's the shittiest person yeah. there, the meanest. But the twist turns yeah, it around. Exactly. And season two sort of, well, let's not get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, so I just it, thought that was a, interesting. It's like a hidden protagonist. I mean, antagonist. Yeah, and um, you never see Michael alone in the whole first season because of that. Really? Yeah, I was looking for it this time, but you don't. He's never alone. No. Nope. Interesting. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, because if he was, he would be his antagonist self. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it would give it away. <laughs> that's a good point. So he's always having to play the good guy. Yeah. There is a, a Chiti. Chidi. Chidi. Uh, what what name? Is that a French name? It's, I don't know if it's... I think he was born in Nigeria, I think. Hmm. So I don't know. So I love I love this actor and I love this character. Um, I, and I think his name is William Jackson Harper. Oh, cool. I can relate so hard to his indecisiveness. Oh, yes. I, I am... Yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> can. A, you bear witness. I do. Oh, well, I have to thank you on air because <laughs> it's really thanks to Zeleny that I feel like I have at least started to come around and really have improved my ability to make a decision. You have. I mean, more so like I've what it has definitely opened my eyes to is when other people are being indecisive now and I'm starting to just see the cyclical patterns more when I'm observing it in other people. I mean, I still, I, because I come from that, I try to have as much patience as possible yeah. with it. But I, I also, because I understand the importance of being decisive, I feel like I can kind of be a force for others to try to help them help nudge them in their ability to nail down a decision. I guess one specific example is someone like my mom who I feel like is fairly indecisive. And who probably, that's where you learned it from. Right. And exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I have started to adopt the philosophy of it's the best choice to make a choice now. That's smart. And then I can worry about any of the consequences or anything like that um, when as they come up, right? Um, but to go a lot more with my gut... Um, I mean, still exercise uh, some basic logical reasoning, but don't like question myself uh, throughout the process of making the first choice. Just make a decision so that there's something on the table and then you can move forward and adjust. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. I have the problem of like making too fast a decision Mm -hmm. and it's not that big a problem, but it could be reckless in some ways. But I I don't know. I'm, I'm very like quick in my head to just optimize Mm. and think through everything logically Mm -hmm. and then come up from that with the best logical decision and just do it you are very quick with that (laughs) it's i i literally i don't think i can 
I don't think I know anybody else who's as quick. That's nice. With it. I appreciate and it. And consistent. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's one reason why I stick around <laughs> in the Heike Book Club studios. <laughs> but no, this is so true. And I think that it's something that we don't talk about maybe as much in the society, but a lot of people can relate to and they feel that frustration. Yeah. And like anxiety with mm-hmm. decision making. Exactly. And so I think that the I've, I haven't never I've never really seen that depicted in a show or a piece of media. before. Especially so. yeah, as like this big flaw that landed him in the bad. Place, exactly. You know? It's like, like his whole character dilemma. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. Right. So I had that as a note. The only other side note is that I had this issue where in the first episode and like when he's introducing himself as a character to Eleanor, he apparently speaks French. I know. I really think they just like decided to ignore that line happened. I guess. After that episode because. Because it's cool. Yeah, right? We yeah. like We like that it's cool. And so I was also assuming that whatever Eleanor was saying in English was being translated to him in French. Yeah. I just assumed. Right, right, right. Um, Because that would make sense. I did too, yeah. But then when we do a flashback to Chidi's character, um, when he was alive, he's speaking English. And so it's kind of problematic. It's like one... It's it's one slip up, yeah. One coincidence. It was just. Uh, it's I not think really it, cool. It's just a mistake. Okay, I think it's, it's a, a legit mistake. It's a small mistake though. Yeah. I think they're just like. No, it's a great. I I I forgive yeah. it. Right, right. But it's just come on, guys. I know, I know. <laughs> I think they just did it for the joke too soon, and then yeah. didn't realize the implications. Exactly, and I mean that's what's problematic because usually the pilot is a whole separate yeah. entity in itself, uh, being written. And then the series takes on its own yeah. writer's room and everything. And no one knew if it would work. They had, they were really like, this could fail, this could not. We'll mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. So let me just re- consult my notes here. I, I'm almost done. I had very few notes, but it's because I listen to the podcast. So I yeah. just am recalling things as they come up. Well, uh, we can end on this note if you want. But <laughs> the, the only last note that I have, which I wrote uh, while we were talking, is drugs. What about <laughs> They depict drugs. They depict two different kinds of drugs in this Cocaine. movie. Cocaine. Cocaine and mushrooms. mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's interesting. One, because we... I don't understand really why they brought in cocaine the way they did. And they bring it in pretty hot. Like, they have a whole character that's addicted to it. Yeah. Which is sort of playing into the stereotype that lawyers have, I think. And she's like an 80s lawyer. Right. Exactly. Um, but, but they really like played into it. And then also how the uh, fellow demons were snorting everything. Right. Um, in in a cocaine fashion. Yeah. And they're, and they were referring to like where they could get it. It just, it kind of took me back. I wasn't expecting it. And it's part of me is making me question whether cocaine is like having like this popularity comeback right in some sense honestly i feel like in almost everything i've seen this summer it's come up that's what i'm saying i've been seeing it more yeah this year in media and i i never really saw it in anything right very much before it's like it was definitely the thing to talk about like put in your thing in the 80s right in your movie i mean i guess i saw it a lot in pose which makes sense and then it became taboo but now it's all of a sudden back yeah maybe i feel like i blame wolf of wall street yeah i didn't watch that but i heard there was a lot of cocaine 
Which, I mean, <laughs> but in all due respect, it's based on late 80s, early 90s. I know, but I feel like it brought it back. And it did. brought it back to like, oh, it's cool. Businessmen, yeah. entrepreneurs do this. Right. Like successful men do this. Yeah. So that was interesting <laughs> to me. Um, and I mean, I obviously I don't resonate with it, but I'm guessing that there's still an audience out there that the writers think for it. So, But it's also not portrayed in like a, the best light. No, definitely not. I mean, she's not. very like, she's kind of a bad person, but also. But just like to yeah. include it enough so much, to yeah. make like a joke out of it. Yeah. That means they're intending somebody to laugh at it. So. Right, I guess so. It's interesting. And then the other one was (laughs) mushrooms. There have been two discrete mushroom references in this uh, show, which I think is also interesting. To me, that makes more sense because I do... Don't do mushrooms, no. (laughs) But there there have been more scientific uh, studies coming out uh, and research about the like minimal effects of psilocybin and especially when in, it's called I think microdosing and how oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it can be how it's had some positive results when used in clinical trials for certain patients with symptoms and so from that sense I think that mushrooms are starting to become a little less taboo oh, yeah, and, and a little yeah, bit yeah. more accepted to be talked about at least right, right now I mean we've gone so much so I, I you know that we've had some people going on talk shows, late night talk shows, talking about the positive experiences that they've had with uh, those type of psychoactive substances. And so I just find it cool and interesting that a uh, sitcom is weaving those more into specifically it's with the character Eleanor, how she makes a couple references of liking ingesting mushrooms in the real world. I thought she just meant regular mushrooms like food. <laughs> I I thought you were. I don't. I don't think that that. I thought you were referring to Doug, the painting of the guy, the stoner guy that predicted everything. Oh uh, no! Well, yeah, that's okay. that's the first reference. Okay, yeah, okay. that's the first reference of it. Got it. <laughs> I did. I because like I was like I couldn't remember what the first reference was, yeah, but now was I remember. And but that's like such an important just like thing oh, yeah. to think about because clearly the writers are looking at that like guy is some tv writer for some other show oh really yeah, the picture <laughs> of that guy yeah i love the type of easter eggs that they do oh my god we saw a swanson easter oh we egg did with the swanson safe company the safe that jason died in was <laughs> like said swanson safe company on yeah. it. that was fun that's cool yeah i feel like there was some other parks and rec easter egg but yeah yeah. Or no, a Brooklyn Nine Nine. There was a point. Well, I don't think it was necessarily, but Eleanor said "toit," and nah. that's sort of like one of Andy Samberg's catchphrases. Yeah, things he does in yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine. So I feel like there's little Easter eggs. Cool too. callbacks. Yeah. So yeah, that about wraps up our discussion of The Good Place season one. Can we grade this season? Yeah, it's Please. so new. It's hard to like grade it against. You know, because normally when I grade, I feel like I'm grading against others of its kind, like mm. other musicals or other this or that. But this is like weird to grade it against comedy sitcoms to me, right. you know? Well, I would grade it. I'd grade it an A. A? Why are you taking off points? Taking off points? I just didn't award them. Same thing. 
Because I want because I want 24 episodes a season. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kristen Bell said I know, no. No. <laughs> she wrote in her contract. <laughs> okay, agent. <laughs> no. Uh, I'll give it an A+. Plus. I think okay. the innovation drives it up. Gives it a lot of points for me. I don't know why I'm hesitant. Maybe it's just because there haven't been enough seasons to come out yet. So I don't know kind of where it's going. Yeah. Um, maybe. And there's so many twists. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that like with most shows, you can kind of tell how they can make a long series out of it. But this is the type of show that I'm not sure exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to grade what it. What it is. Like, what is it going to become? It's hard to grade it against mm-hmm. its genre. Yeah. Like it's, it's some precedent. So you give a plus for innovation. For innovation, I think that it's so innovative that it deserves a high grade. I give an A for the original idea and for the return value of wanting to uh, keep watching it and the characters. I don't know why I'm not going to the plus point other than what I've just said. Sorry. No reason. At least there's no spawn. That's that, true. That I can tell. Michael sure is big enough to not need a spawn. Froyo. <laughs> That's just so funny how it looks like Froyo is good, but then it's like, no, it's a bad place because if it had been the good place, it would have been ice cream. That's right. Oh, so clever. I like his line for justifying that too. Right. It's I can't just remember like, what it is. Or, mm. well, he was like, it's so human to make something less like. Good for you so that you can have more more of it. it, Yeah. Yeah. Make something less good to just so you can have more of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can relate. (laughs) It's so American. Well, this has been a super treat to have you uh, listen and to talk with you uh, for this episode. I'm not sure what episode number this is, but somewhere in the 30s. And I know we're working our way up to the 40s. Uh, we're going to have a one year anniversary coming soon. Yes, so that's exciting. In the fall. My oh, favorite time. Yeah. Can you smell it? Can you it's smell finally, it coming? Yes. I, I'm starting to smell it. <laughs> I am. It's almost fall. All the smells are coming. Ooh. I love them. I, I mean, officially this is the start of fall. Yeah. Like not the official seasonal kind, but like the, the fall season society wise. Exactly. So, that's exciting. Yes. So this was recorded on Labor Day 2018. And... What about shout out? Shout out to the labor unions of the 19 teens. No. Okay. You have a shout out? I mean, I, I'll shout out Matt, who is my friend's friend, <laughs> who I think got her into the good place. And then she told me to watch it. So. Oh. It's relevant to today. I guess I could shout out my you know, screenwriter you don't, you don't professor. Get, you don't get a shout out when I get a shout out. It's true. I don't know anybody who watches well, The Good Place. Then you don't get a shout out. I already gave a shout out. No, shout out to Matt. Jeez. I'm <laughs> shouting you out. <laughs> you should. It's my birthday. Hey. <laughs> but yes. Shout Please out to Matt años. for mm, watching the show and spreading awareness of it. Because I wasn't very aware of it. What up, Matt? <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for bringing it to Zeleny's attention because it brought it to my attention. And now I can uh, knowledgeably like talk about you it. you know about things. Exactly. <laughs> I feel relevant. Yes. 
And we're going to watch the season three as it comes, I think, because I think we're too curious. Too curious. Yeah. Definitely. So that does it for us. And we'll see you next time. You'll be hearing from us.